0: Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern
1: and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo.
0: Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us will be Father Philip Pachansky, Executive Director of Courage International, to talk to us about same-sex attraction. Andrew, what makes this topic so important for our listeners?
1: I think it's really important. I think it's important because it's a topic that many people, I think, are thinking about and not necessarily everybody's talking about. It's uh, intimately related to healthcare and to our faith. And it's something that's becoming, you know, more common if we look at the statistics. We've tried to address similar but different things on the show mm-hmm. in the past. Right. We had Dr. Paul Cruz, a doctor of psychology talk, or I'm sorry, uh, pediatric endocrinologist talking about gender dysphoria among other episodes we've had.
0: Yes. And then uh, uh, a psychology um, PsyD, a doctorate, Andrew Sodergren talked about especially rapid onset gender dysphoria, but from a psychologist viewpoint, whereas uh, Paul Rose was great. We've had him on twice now, uh, just about the harms of um, trying to block puberty or do uh, surgery to change the outward appearance of people.
1: Yes. And so these are things that are becoming a bigger and bigger part of health care in America And so we wanted to address it on our show, and we could think of nobody better than our guests today to help us do that.
0: Oh, absolutely. And Andrew, there's a quote you really like from the USCCB on this topic.
1: Yeah, I I think to kind of set the stage, the USCCB did a, a good job, and kind of where we're coming from, is that they say the church seeks to enable every person to live out the universal call to holiness, persons with a homosexual inclination ought to receive every aid and encouragement to embrace this call personally and fully this will unavoidably involve much self-mastery and struggle for following jesus always means following the way of the cross the sacraments of eucharist and penance are essential essential sources of consolation and aid on this path and so that's the kind of where the usccb and the catholic church in america and we on dr dr are trying to come from in finding the best way to reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have, you know, same-sex attraction.
0: And you found some uh, great statistics, some information. It's interesting uh, that from 2012 to uh, 2022, where we are now, the percent of U.S. adults who identify as something other than heterosexual has doubled, three and a half to 7.1%.
1: Yeah, it's really incredible. It's, it's escalating. Um, and, it, and it's going at a, a rate that, you know, I've, I've seen even in secular media sources, people are commenting on this and saying this This does not necessarily appear to be organic for it to be increasing at such a rate. And it's even more noticeable when you look at the different generations. So when you look at, you know, these are from Gallup polls, these statistics, but if you look at baby boomers, about 2% or two people out of 100 would identify in the LGBT community, however, when you look at the Generation Z, the folks born between 1997 and 2002, 16 percent, 15.9 percent of people identify as other than uh, straight heteros- heterosexual, and so this escalation uh, is quite remarkable. Uh, what's what's behind it? What does it mean? How can how can we be available to help these people?
0: Well, what surprised me. Even more was that of this group that identifies as other than heterosexual. The biggest group, over half, was not what I would have expected. It was yes. other the LGBT. It was the B.
1: Yes, know, the I, bisexual. I I think you know traditionally, or I, I say traditionally, you look back thirty years and people think of the terms gay and straight, and uh, that that kind of dichotomy is almost gone. And now the the push or the way it's being defined on questionnaires and whatnot is, is more of a spectrum. And you get the LGBT, you know, even other acronyms uh, that include more different varieties of non-heterosexually inclined people. Uh, it's really incredible that the bisexual folks are more than half of them. Um, so that the idea, you know, we're talking primarily today about same-sex attraction, but really looking at this group as a whole, Uh, It's an an interesting group.
0: Uh, And it's fascinating how U.S. support for legalized same-sex so-called marriage uh, changed in the 25 years after 1996, from 27% support in 96 to 2020, where two-thirds of people supported it. So I can't wait to explore some of this with Father Grishansky.
1: Yeah, I, in kind of reviewing and preparing for this show, one of the things that struck me also is not only the, the amount of people that identify in this way, the public support, but also kind of the influences there are on children regarding this. I found an interesting article about a, a kid who talked about growing up in Maryland in a very diverse public school in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, where they taught about sexual orientation and gender identity in health class. And uh, their comment was, at that point, I was already very familiar with this stuff that they were teaching at 14. So it was kind of old news. And so we, we think of these things as, I don't know, maybe some folks might consider themselves insulated uh, from these things or really engrossed in these things, but 93% of counties in America, in every state, have... Uh, Households that list a homosexual couple as the head of household. So it's really something that's growing and is in every part of our country. And we want to be able to hear from Father today about his experience with this community.
0: Amen. But before we go there, as you know, we have a medical trivia question of the day. Category I chose for this one is testosterone. So in adulthood, how much time, how much higher? are testosterone blood levels in men compared to women. And it's a multiple. Mm-hmm. It's not just a percent, but it's a multiple. What is that multiple? And is a bonus question, in what organ of the body is the vast majority of testosterone produced in men and in what organ in women? You're going to have to wait around to the end of the show for the answer, but we'll be back with our special guest, Father Philip Ashansky here on Dr. Doctor after the break. Welcome to that part of the show when we bring on our special guest. Tonight, that's Father Philip Bochansky. Father Bochansky is the executive director of Courage International for the last five plus years. Uh, Before that, he was chaplain for the Courage Apostolate in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia for five years, and he was appointed associate director at Courage in 2015. He is an award-winning author. He's written and edited several books, audio series, and articles in various aspects of church history, catechesis, and spirituality. And in 2019, Pope Francis awarded Father Butchansky the Cross Pro Ecclesia et Pontifice in recognition of sustained and exceptional service to the church. Father, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thanks very much. It's great to be with you. So, so what got you interested in this apostolate of Courage RC?
2: Well, uh, you know, like many of our chaplains, I never went looking for it. Uh, when I was in the seminary, Father John Harvey, who was our founding director uh and happened to be from my home archdiocese of Philadelphia, he would come to the seminary uh once a year and and come to our moral theology classes. Um so if I knew then uh what I know now, I would have gotten <laughs> to know him a lot better. Uh but anyway, I was I was aware of the apostolate and certainly respected the idea of it, but it's not ever it wasn't ever something I thought I'd get involved in. Uh but th- what happened was the, the local chapter in Philadelphia, uh, their chaplain was uh he was a redemptors priest, and so he was moved uh, by his order to a different house and uh they didn't have anybody to send in his place, and the other priests in the parish were very busy, so they they they, they couldn't continue as the chaplains and uh, it happened that one of the uh one of the lay leaders of the group was a prisoner of mine and he asked if I would be willing to help out. So uh, I did that kind of tentatively at first, to be honest with you. I wasn't quite sure uh, what they would need from me or or how I might be able to help. Uh, but the more I got to know the members of the group, the more I really uh, admired and and respected them and and what they were striving for. And so um, started going to the national conferences, started getting more involved in things regionally, and uh, then in. Uh, I guess it was summer of 2014, uh, our board decided that uh, we needed another priest in the office. And so Father Paul Czech, who's my predecessor in the job Mm -hmm. I have, uh, called and asked if I would be available. Uh, So I approached my archbishop, Archbishop Shapu at the time. First thing he said to me was, I would never stand in the way of you doing something like that. And so I came to our central office here in Connecticut, and I've been here a little over seven years now.
0: Oh, you're in Connecticut,
2: not Philadelphia. I'm from Philadelphia and I'll return there. I'm still incarnated in Philadelphia. But uh, the uh, the main administrative office for our apostolate is in Trumbull, Connecticut, which is in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Uh, Father Check is a priest of Bridgeport. So uh, Father Harvey started the apostolate in 1980 in New York. And then in 2010, uh, Father Check uh, was invited by Bishop Laurie at the time, now Archbishop Laurie of Baltimore. Uh, to, to bring
1: things
0: uh, here to Bridgeport. Very good.
1: You know, Father, as, as we're getting into this topic, I I think for some listeners, this could be a a challenging topic, but I'm so happy we're talking about it. Maybe we can start out with some just definitions. You know, we use the term same-sex attraction, but what does that mean in regard to physical, emotional attraction Explain it for us.
2: Sure. So, I mean, I the the Catechism uses the term homosexuality and homosexual persons. Um, the the culture in which we're living generally refers to gay people or, or LGBT Catholics or, or terms like that. Um, you know, I think uh, from that perspective, it's a, it's a label that kind of says too little about the the person uh, and uh, runs the risk of um, of kind of reducing our understanding of a person or sometimes that person's understanding of themselves to just that part of their experience. So I would never argue with somebody. I'm not going to force somebody to say things the way that I would say them. But if I'm giving a talk or an interview like this, I'll most often refer to a person who experiences same-sex attractions. And that puts the person first. It uh, lets them describe their own experience. Sometimes we we're inclined to say a person who's suffering from or struggling with and yeah, first of all, that makes it sound like a diagnosis, but um, but also we can't tell someone else if they're suffering or not. You know, they uh, and if we assume that, then it may be very difficult to have a further dialogue with them. And so, same-sex attractions is a an erotic attraction uh, to a person of the same sex. Um, eros, as a form of love, uh, wants to uh, be totally uh, engaged with the other person. Wants to Possess and be possessed by the beloved. And so it's appropriate for marriage where a man and a woman, because of their complementary nature, because their love can overflow uh, into procreation, they can give a total gift of themselves. But uh, an erotic uh, connection is not appropriate. And certainly sexual intimacy is not appropriate between people who aren't and can't be spouses. Um, So for a person of the same sex, a same-sex intimate action or relationship is uh, is immoral it's not part of god's plan for our sexuality um, precisely because it's lacking uh, in complementarity the the corresponding differences between men and women and it's not possible to be procreative so that their love for each other could overflow as god's does in, t- in new life
0: um, no, Now, father I, i've heard that some research suggests that with Men attracted to men, it's more physical, but with women attracted to women, it's often more emotional. Is there any truth there?
2: well uh, you know i I think it's important just to say you know there's not a one size fits all explanation um and there are lots of things that we can be attracted to in another person. but I mean, I think if you look at at uh, sexual attraction towards the opposite sex and the differences between the sexes, I think it's it's pretty clear that in many cases men tend to be more attracted by the visual (laughs) and then proceed to the emotional and women in terms of relationships and and romance and intimacy tend to be more focused on the emotional or uh, the relational and then you know the i mean the 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 visual is important the physical is important but um yeah i think i think it's funny even in the question of same-sex attractions uh the complementarity of the sexes is still evident
0: Hmm. that's fascinating so i guess the next question is where might this come from you know
2: i'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination and um i uh, I, I haven't done research um like maybe some of your guests do in various uh, aspects of their their fields and their professions um as far as the uh, as far as my ministry i've talked to lots of people and can sure. see some similarities in their stories but again it's not as easy as as kind of identifying a one-size-fits-all predetermination Um, the catechism from a from a theological perspective says that the genesis of homosexuality uh, remains largely unexplained and i think that's what the catechism will uh, will continue to say because the church is not uh doing medical research she's applying theological truths Um, But people who do research, for example, the American uh, Psychological Association, uh, if you look at their website, uh, at their questions about sexual orientation, it says that there's no consensus among scientists about any particular factor or particular combination of factors uh, that causes a a person to have a particular uh, sexual orientation. Um, I've also uh, had a chance to read um, uh, at least some preliminary reports uh, from a 2019 study the genome-wide association study, maybe you're familiar with that, um, that, that had several hundred thousand uh, randomly selected uh, genetic samples from places like the like 23andMe and the British National oh, sure. Genetic Registry. And what they found was um, that uh, that the genetic markers that they found most often in people who reported experiencing same-sex attractions or identified as gay. I think there were five places in the genome that seemed significant, but they were pretty poor at uh, predicting um, whether a person with one or more of those markers would be a person who um, identifies in this way. I think depending on the markers between eight and 25% of the time. So um, it was great to see that in the abstract, the authors of the study were very plain and very transparent, they said, you know, there's lots more work to be done, and it's not as simple as we might think it is. Um, it's really a, a complex reality, and I think we have to respect that and just ask people to share their sure. stories.
1: With us. Father, in in talking to to folks through your ministry, do you find any commonality in kind of the background story? Um, you know, people people postulate things like trauma or things like um, maybe having a role model who experienced same-sex attraction or a certain family structure. Is there any commonality in the stories of the people you work with?
2: Well, some statistics that I'm familiar with would suggest that uh, women who experience um, uh, same-sex attraction as adults were, I think, uh, twice as likely, uh, three times as likely uh, as women who don't to have experienced some kind of abuse, especially sexual abuse in childhood. Um That men who experience same sex attractions as adults, uh, I think the statistics would say they're about six times as likely to have been uh, the victims of of abuse or traumatic experience in childhood again, having said that, there are lots of uh, members of courage who don't report uh, any of that, any of um, that. you know uh, who um, I often think of um of uh, Leo Tolstoy uh, in the opening line of Anna Karenina he says every happy family is the same every unhappy family is unhappy for its own reasons and you know, <laughs> certainly certainly our fundamental relationships with mom and with dad with with siblings with peers with teachers with mentors certainly those experiences should go a long way to shaping our uh, our identity, our sense of self, our sense of where we fit. Um, and, you know, when I think when uh, I think most of us and most of your audience as as teenagers, you know, felt kind of disconnected, kind of out of sorts, um, when you throw th- those feelings together with uh, the kind of um, swirling storm of puberty, hormones and, and pressures and expectations and everything else, um, it wouldn't be surprising that you know, sometimes um, thinking about oneself in this way or, or looking at peers or, or um, same-sex friends from a, a sexual angle, you know, might uh, seem to be the answer to f- feeling all sorts of things. So I, I'm really not trying to evade your questions, but, um, you know, I, I think um, we don't, I think it, it can really um, hinder our ability to serve an individual or a family with a, a loved one. Um, If we focus too much on, you know, these are the the kind of things parents are already asking themselves, you know, how did this happen? What did I do? And typically they didn't do anything out of the ordinary.
0: Okay, Father, so we're asking all these questions that are hard to answer. What questions should we be asking?
2: Well, I think, first of all, um, you know, one of the things that that the uh, that young people, especially, but anybody who's a person of faith um, wants to know is you know, where is, is there a place for me in the church? And I think okay. uh, the answer to that is absolutely yes. Um, the The church makes an important distinction. We were talking about attractions before. Uh, the church right. makes an important distinction between actions, which are moral and feelings and emotions and desires, which I, I, the church doesn't use this term, but we might call them premoral, right? In the sense that sure. uh, we don't choose to feel most of the things that we feel. It's right. a response to the, the world around us, but um, you know, we have to always make good decisions about where we go and who we're with and what we do, avoiding what traditionally we call the occasions of sin. Um, but yes. it's very important, I think, to to say that uh, people who experience same sex attractions should not be marginalized for that reason, right? Should not be excluded. Um, they are very much members of of the church by their baptism, by their participation in the life of the sacraments by their membership in the body of christ and so a person who is is striving to live as the church asks us all to live the virtue of chastity it can be fully engaged in the life of their parish in the life of the church um i think another thing to to propose to them uh is just the beauty and this is something i know from experience as as a priest the beauty of uh spiritual fatherhood or spiritual motherhood as a as a real vocation and not a consolation prize not a second best way of loving um and i think it too it's it's important to you know to listen to the stories that people bring whether it's having been uh, misunderstood or treated unkindly or even uh, uh, harmfully by someone in the church Uh, whether it's confusion about what the church teaches or Frustration about trying to live it out. You know, Pope Francis uh, often says we accompany people starting from their situation and with mercy. So, you know, if we can we can learn to take people's stories seriously, uh, really hear them out before we um, give them, uh, you know, what the church has to say. Then there's a much much bigger chance that they'll be able to receive it from a place of of understanding and love and and be motivated to pursue it.
1: Father, is it a reasonable way to consider same-sex attraction as just a temptation? Like all of us are tempted in different ways, and this is one way in which people are tempted. It seems to be kind of given its own corner in, mm-hmm. in some ways, but is it is it very much different than any of the other ways all of us are tempted? Well,
2: I think in the sense that, um, that many other temptations to particular sins or particular uh, ways of acting um, are more or less temporary. I mean, we can kind of dive deep into uh, a bad habit or, or a vicious life, and you know, we don't even experience it as a temptation anymore. It just becomes how we live. You know, um, I think, I think the 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 reason that uh, this is such a, a big question is because. Sexuality is really constitutive of the person, right? Um, the, the the Genesis 127 says three important things. God creates us in his image, he creates us according to our to his likeness, and he creates us male and female, right? And that third part, male and female, it has it says it talks about our bodies, it talks about the sexed nature of our bodies, the complementary natures of our of our bodies and our spirits. Um, you know, it really is, I think, in a way that very few other things in life are. It's really fundamental and constitutive of who we are, first of all, and so um, I think it's a bigger thing than than a, a fleeting or or periodic temptation. Um, I think it really goes into a person's sense of himself or herself, a person's way of relating to others, um, and you know, when when there are questions or, or fears or shame or guilt surrounding it, it can really skew a person's estimation of themselves or, you know, their ability to be in healthy relationships, et cetera. So a lot of what we're doing uh, in my apostolate is just hearing people out, helping them to understand God has a plan for their lives and and to think of themselves in light of that plan and in light of the, the destiny and the dignity with which God created them, instead of just seeing their life through the lens of this particular part of their experience so it's part of their experience but I think it's a major major part of it part of their sense of self and and of others and and often of how God looks at them so I I think it's it's more than that yeah
0: is that same-sex attraction something that is typically stable through their whole lifespan or does it sometimes change
2: well, I mean, that's, that's why I often speak of uh, a person who experiences same-sex attractions, in the plural. Right. Um, because, because I think it absolutely does um, have the potential to, to change in intensity, in the way that it's experienced. Um, you know, there's, there's some research, uh, for example, the uh, National Longitudinal Study on Adolescent Health, ADD health. Um, you know, they asked uh, large cohorts of young people, when they were 16 and 17 what their sexual orientation was and then again when they were 25 and what they found was that although people identified as heterosexual uh, that number remained very stable that there was a lot of fluidity in in other ways of answering that mostly heterosexual bisexual mostly homosexual uh, totally ho- uh, homosexual um that you know every category there was there was some fluidity um, Exhibited just, I think, not because of any interventions or, or any particular influences, other than, you know, just growing up and and understanding oneself and one's relationships uh, from a different point of view. Um, this is why we, the church is always concerned about uh, not putting a label on oneself, not defining oneself just to this experience, but particularly for young people, um, so that as they grow, um, as they uh, grown relationship and understanding of themselves and others that they can react naturally to, uh, to whatever changes might happen. Now, again, we don't, we wouldn't approach somebody who's experiencing this and say, oh, it's just a phase and you'll, you'll grow out of it or you'll get over it. No, that's just not respectful of the person's experience. But, but I think at the same time to, to just encourage people to leave room for, um, just the, the actual, uh, desires of the heart at any given moment rather than kind of locking them in through any particular way of uh, assuming they'll always have to be.
0: Well, I think this is a good place to take a break from the first half of our interview. We'll be back with more and Father Philip Bochansky on same-sex attraction here on Dr. Doctor.
1: And we are back today with Dr. Doctor and talking to Father Philip Pachan- Bochansky, I'm sorry, uh, about courage and the Courageous apostolate. We were debating or soft Sea before, Father, so I just wanted to <laughs> attempt to get it right. It's all good. Um, but tell us, you know, for a lot of our listeners, I think, who might not have uh, a touchstone in this world, um, what is Courage? What does it look like? What does a meeting look like? Tell us about that. Well, Courage was founded in 1980
2: at the uh, invitation of uh, Cardinal Terence Cook in New York. And um, what was happening is a few years earlier, a group called Dignity uh, had formed as a support group for uh, Catholics who uh, I think they would have identified as gay or lesbian at the time. Um, but it was a very affirming of of, uh, of uh, homosexual relationships and, and a way of looking at oneself through that label. Um, and so it was not really consistent with, not at all consistent with uh, the church's teaching about sexual morality and chastity. So Cardinal Cook wanted a group that would support and encourage people who wanted to live according to what the church taught. So Father John Harvey, our founding director, along with Father Edwin O'Brien, who is uh, one of Cardinal Cook's assistant priests, now a cardinal himself, and Father Benedict Rochelle, uh, they gathered to talk about what they might be able to provide and and uh, then they started putting advertisements in uh, the Catholic newspaper in New York and in other places. So our first uh, Courage group met in uh, Lower Manhattan on September 26, 1980. Uh, one of their first orders of business, business was to choose the name of the apostolate, and lots and lots of names were proposed, including most of the theological and moral and cardinal virtues. So. Uh, one of our members said, well, if we're gonna, we need to live all these things, but to live any of them, we have to have fortitude. We need to have courage. And so that's where the name comes from. Shortly after that, um, our Father Harvey invited the members to kind of set up a plan for how they would, what they were about and, and how they would strive. And so that's where the five goals of courage come from, uh, which are still kind of our constitution. So first goal is to live chaste lives following the church's teaching. And then the rest of the goals support the first goal. So to, to live a life of prayer and dedication, uh, to create an atmosphere where everyone can speak from experience and, and share what's going on so that they can uh, be you know, kind of walk with each other, uh, to, um, to focus on building chaste friendships, both in the group and outside the group, and to give good example to others so that they can learn the same kind of freedom and joy that our members find in following the church's teaching. Um, so a courage group meets, um, regularly, hopefully weekly if possible, but at least once or twice a month, uh, meets so father, the- is
0: this just uh, AA for same sex attraction or is it that's, different that's, than that's that? A,
2: that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> I know that father Harvey and the, the first members of the group were certainly very, uh, they certainly admired and respected the 12 steps of AA. Um, and I think in early days, our groups would have used those steps more explicitly. I think over the years we've learned from our members that not everyone who's experiencing same-sex attraction is coming at it from a history of sexual addiction or, uh, you know, struggling with a lot of bad habits. You know, more and more young people are coming to our group um, who maybe haven't been in relationships at all and maybe are are struggling internally, but wouldn't kind of feel drawn to an explicitly 12-step group. Um, and so our groups focus on the five goals rather than, and there's a, a point of checking in at the, at the, in the course of the meeting, saying what's been going on, uh, being accountable, but and also supportive of one another. Some major differences, you know, there's not um, the same kind of, well, there's not the same role for a sponsor that there would be in a 12 step group. Really the, the guide for all the members is the priest chaplain who's there as kind of a spiritual father. Um, there's not uh, the same idea of, uh, kind of a, a total accounting of one's life that happens in uh, the first step. Um, instead, you know, we offer the sacrament of confession, reconciliation. Um, and of course, we're very, very clear that our higher power that we're relying on is the triune God of the <laughs> Christians, you know. And so um, so none of our groups are, are required to use the 12 steps. Um, some of our groups uh, use reflections from groups like Sexholics Anonymous, you know, which can be useful, but, um, but our, our plan is always the, the five goals. So uh,
0: now are the groups, um, you know, one sex men and women, or might they mix?
2: It depends on, on the, the location, Uh, just in the general population, there's about twice as many men as women who experience same sex attraction. Um, so uh, the number of women in our apostolate has always been relatively small, um, in a place where there would be enough women to have a meeting, we encourage chaplains to have men's and women's meetings separate, at least part of the time. But I found that our men are very uh, welcoming to, to women who feel comfortable joining them for a meeting. And we also have uh, a very active online women's meeting that gathers uh, women from all over the country. And I, I, we have retreats for them once or twice a year. And that's always a joy for me to be there for that.
1: Father, tell us a story about maybe if you can think of someone in particular, Mm -hmm. just a story to give us an idea of how courage can help people. Sure. Well,
2: I mean, the the stories are are as varied as the individuals, of course. Um, We have one uh, one member who was among our founding members. I think he was, if not at the first meeting, then definitely at the second, um, when he was in his early 20s and uh you know he is now in his 60s we celebrated our 40th anniversary a couple of years ago um Mm -hmm. still a a very loyal member of courage still attends meetings it's really kind of you know he describes it in terms of of his family now and um i would say he'd be the first to say that he is experiencing attractions to men as often as well i mean as as truly as he ever did i think um probably is troubled by them less often he's learned to live chastely Um, with a lot of help and support from, from his brothers and sisters in courage. So, so for him, it's been a support to, you know, accept, Hey, this is, this is how my heart and my mind work. This is what I'm going to feel, but I can make good decisions about it. Um, another member of the same group, um, was, uh, kind of came to courage, really not thinking he would ever tell anybody, uh, about this experience in his life, um, ended up opening up, of course, and having a lot of support for that. Um, over the years, you know, he he was he's kind of taking that point we were talking about before, that you just to be open to what God has in mind, um, learned a lot about himself, became much more kind of uh, comfortable in his own skin accepting of the situation, uh, was very involved in his parish, and um, it was uh, one of the volunteer things that he did. There was a, a woman around his age who was very friendly and, and they got along very well, uh, were friends for a long time and then realized uh, after a while that they were feeling like more than friends towards each other. Um, and so they've been married for 14 years now and very happy. Um, that's not everybody's story, but uh, some of our members uh, do uh, end up marrying a person of the opposite sex. Some of our members come to us after they're already in a marriage and and have uh, a spouse and and children, um, but I've found that these attractions are getting in the way of, of a healthier relationship. So they come for support, often with the with the the understanding and support of their spouse. To yeah, go and, and talk to people who know what you're going through, and and then we'll we'll talk about you know our relationship in light of that. So I guess the the beauty of of the people that I'm uh, working with and, and that form our courage family is uh, they're coming from all different uh, walks of life, from all different uh, stories and perspectives. Um, but they, they support one another very well, I must say. Um, and the thing that we all have in common is we're striving to hear what God's saying through the church and to embrace it and strive for it.
0: Tell us about Encourage Courage.
2: Mm-hmm. So encourage started not long after Courage when uh, word started getting out, especially in the Catholic press. And parents mostly, but other loved ones, spouses, sometimes siblings, of people who were identifying as uh, what we would say today LGBTQ, um, that they, their loved ones weren't practicing the faith. Um, and they had big questions about how do I keep the faith and keep my family intact? Uh, so they reached out to Father Harvey, who would counsel them individually. Eventually, it got to be a lot of people, and he started uh, <laughs> asking some of the, the those he had known for longer to help counsel those who were just calling. And so um, between uh, 1987 and ni- 1992, that group kind of coalesced until at our conference in 1992 they were kind of officially introduced as Encourage as another arm of our apostolate. So Encourage uh, groups meet usually monthly. Um, often it's still it's mostly it's many many parents but also spouses, uh, siblings of of people uh, who are ex- identifying as LGBT, and um, you know we we give them a place to share their experience to to say things that maybe. Their loved one or the rest of their family wouldn't wouldn't understand why they think that way or why they feel that way um and just just talk it out with one another there's a lot of uh listen i was where you are now and i did all the wrong things but this is what i learned um and so um you know just to share that experience and that walk together and and to kind of bring bring the tears and the and the questions and the doubts and the fears to the encourage groups so that when they're face-to-face with their loved one, they can focus on affirming everything they can, keeping those uh, those lines of communication open and, um, you know, just trying to, to build up the relationship so that when they do have to say, well, I love you very much, but I don't agree with this choice that you're making, that hopefully their loved one can receive that as, uh, as coming from a place of love rather than, than
1: uh, trying to run their life. So, Father, courage the goal is to help people live chaste lives. Mm-hmm. This is different than something that people hear about in the media a lot called conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like this has been coming up in the media more as different states in particular uh, try and more or less eliminate that because that's not the, the kind of in vogue thing right now. Mm-hmm. They think some people don't like it. Tell us, Tell us what conversion therapy is and how that's very different than courage.
2: Sure. Well, yeah, courage is sometimes accused of uh, trying to pray away the gay or uh, you know, to make <laughs> people straight. Um, this is not something that the Catholic Church expects or looks for. Um, certainly not something that the church or courage requires or, or demands because, because of that nuance we talked about before, that to experience the attractions is not a sin in itself. Um, some evangelical uh, you know, uh, Pentecostal churches would would look at that differently and and would kind of take active steps to try and quote-unquote make a person straight. They would expect that the, the end goal is to get married to a person of the opposite sex, but that's not what the Catholic Church is about and it's certainly not what Courage does. Now, the thing about conversion therapy, which is very much in the news these days, and not just in the United States, but in, in other countries, and especially other English-speaking countries, um, there's generally when when that term is used uh, there's generally three things that uh, people who are proposing bans on conversion therapy uh, are are talking about to, depending on who they're talking to so for public consumption for propaganda purposes uh, they'll refer to really extraordinarily uh, uh, hurtful things and and damaging things like electroshock therapy, boot camps, uh, aversion therapy, um, you know, brainwashing and things like that. And they tend to have a lot of uh, documentation, uh, but that tends to come from uh, journalists who will say, well, this might've happened in this case, or this happened a long time ago. You know, if those things are happening and being carried out by people who have no psychological expertise or training, you know, I'd be the first to uh, to condemn them. I I, I don't I, I don't have personal firsthand knowledge of those things happening these days, but that's certainly what is shown to the public and to through the press. Now, when those same people who are proposing the bill go to the legislatures, well, the way that they propose it to, to to them is to say, well, look, you have a you have a responsibility to make sure that uh, that that the healthcare professionals that you license are carrying out reputable uh, practices and are not harming people. Now, the thing is, they'll they'll quickly say there's no uh, good data that uh, that talking to a person, you know, talk therapy, you know, trying to help them understand their sexual attractions, trying to help them understand why they feel the way they feel and what to do with that, trying to help them to live chaste lives. That that that's harmful. Uh, they they would say there's no uh, evidence that it's helpful but there's just as little evidence that it's directly harmful um, nevertheless they would they would kind of urge uh, legislators to uh, to define what kind of uh, conversations um, a person a, a psychologist a psychiatrist a counselor uh, could have with their with their clients or their patients um, and to say that you know this is uh, something that we have to regulate which is I mean that, I think it's not exactly constitutional if it regulates speech but they would put it to the legislature in terms of re- regulating healthcare practice now the thing is the third aspect of this is how the laws are actually written and i have some experience with this because our office as i said is based in connecticut there's a ban sure. on conversion therapy to, for minors um, and here in connecticut and other places they use a, a model legislation that's proposed by a group called 50 bills 50 states An activist group that's trying to get this legislation passed and so in any legislation the first section is typically definitions right and it says in this bill the following words mean the following things and so in most conversion therapy legislation they define conversion therapy as any uh, practice or treatment intended to change a person's sexual orientation or gender identity okay uh, and I think, you know, if you were to put a period there, I wouldn't have too much of a quibble with it. But there's not a period there, there's a comma, which says, including, but not limited to, any effort to change or modify a person's uh, behavior or uh, or expression of sexuality or gender, or to uh, reduce or eliminate romantic or sexual feelings or attractions towards a person of the same sex. Okay, so you see what the actual agenda is right if i were in connecticut if i were to go to a catholic high school and give a talk about chastity and say something i've already said to you that you know to pursue an erotic relationship with a person who isn't and can't be your spouse is not part of god's plan and so we ought to pursue friendship rather than romance Um, and someone were to ask me well uh, what about me i experience attractions to the same sex and i would saying to that person, well, you're the, a person of the same sex can never be your spouse, so definitely to try and you know hand those uh, romantic feelings, those sexual feelings over to the Lord and pursue a friendship with a person of the same sex. Well, have I just made an effort to modify that person's behavior or to uh, reduce or eliminate their romantic or sexual feelings or attractions? According to the definition, I've just done conversion therapy, right? Even though wow. all of would- it- All I was doing was talking about the faith and morals. So I think that the the real goal behind this is to take people of faith and and people um, who want to speak about morality out of the public conversation. Father, we have
0: three minutes left. In our last three minutes, what do you wish doctors knew about the best ways to interact with patients who reveal they have same-sex attractions?
2: Well, you know, I, I tell everybody, you know, you should be able to say three things to someone that you care about who shares this with you. Namely, I love you. I believe God has a plan for your life. And I want to hear your story. Now, in a doctor-patient relationship, you've got to you tailor those to, to the actual relationship, you know, to say to your patient, hey, I want you to know I love you. That may not be appropriate in the examining room. But definitely to to listen to the story that they tell. Um, you know, it's, I, I say to doctors sometimes, you know, the worst thing I did, the worst decision I made, was uh, to get a skinny doctor, right? Because you know, <laughs> uh, because you know, if I have a heavy doctor, he's going to tell me I have to lose weight, but he's not going to make a big deal out of it. Skinny doctors are <laughs> on my case, right? Uh, but it, it reminds me, it reminds me of how people must feel coming to confession, and oh. you know, people people are going to confess yeah. to their doctors long before they confess to a priest in m- many cases. So to be prepared to talk about, yeah, there are health implications to same-sex intimate actions. Um, there are um, emotional health uh, uh, consequences, but also emotional health situations that may make, uh, um, that may be present in a person's life when they experience same-sex attractions as opposed to somebody who doesn't. So to just kind of be familiar with the research and to be able to say, hey, we've, we really should talk about some of the choices you're making around sexuality, right? Um, you're generally not afraid to do that in other aspects of life, but a lot of professional organizations make it different for doctors to do that about sex. But, you know, if you have a patient that comes in with COPD or emphysema, and you just you know prescribe them oxygen and send them home, and you never tell them they really should stop smoking, like, you're a bad doctor, right? <laughs> so, if someone is 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 uh, doing things that are inherently risky to their physical or emotional health, and it has to do with sexuality, there's got to be a way to communicate that gently, of course, respectfully, always, you know, taking the, the whole person into account. But we should, you know, doctors and, and other healthcare professionals should be able to, to enter into that part of a person's life because as I say, they're going to have that conversation with their doctor long before they might turn to the church and and a pastoral minister. So we're kind of all in this together. And, uh, you know, if we're, again, if you're building that relationship of trust and affirmation, then that's where a person can hear good advice and take it as coming from love and not from judgment.
0: And people can get you at CourageRC.org, correct?
2: That's correct. Father Philip
1: Bochansky, thank you for being with us here on Dr. Doctor. Thanks very much. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the medical trivia question. Tom, what do we got? Category testosterone.
0: In adulthood, how many times higher are testosterone levels in men compared to women? And the average, unsurprisingly, is 15 to 20 times more in men than women, Although women do not have a negligible amount, they have some testosterone. In fact, they need some testosterone, don't they, Andrew?
1: That's true. A lot of people don't know that, but that is true. And what organ do they come from, Tom? In men, the testes, and in women, the
0: ovaries. But some will also come from the adrenal glands in both men and women, and also even from some other tissues. But the vast majority, testes in men, ovaries in women. And
1: now you know. We thought the ovaries were just two trick ponies, but no, they can make testosterone too. <laughs> yes, they can. In addition
0: to those valuable eggs. So, Andrew, what are our top three takeaways for this episode?
1: Well, you know, talking about it off air, we, there are so many pearls from Father. And I'd say number one the biggest takeaway for our listeners is to experience same-sex attraction is not a sin. Amen. So to, to experience that is not a sin. Um, I'd say number two, the word that ca- came to me was accompaniment.
0: You know, Father yes.
1: said that to everyone you meet, you should be able to say, I love you. and God's got a plan for your life and that I want to hear your story, you know, and you're valued. And so I, I thought accompaniment was a perfect word. And Father gave us a very good example of that, I'd say. Yes, and then really number three, you know, at the beginning of the episode, we were really trying, you know, we're we're kind of scientists and in a way, being doctors, and we're looking for the data. What's this? What's this? Tell tell me a pattern. And father was very clear. He's like, hey, you know, everybody's got a unique story in a different way they came here. You can't really paint with a wide brush. There's not a lot of things that necessarily like, oh, everybody must have X, Y, or Z. So I just encourage folks who who don't have a touchstone in this world, don't live in this world, I'd avoid making assumptions because as Father said, who, who gets to work with folks who do experience this, everybody's got a different story. And part of accompanying them is giving them the space to have their story and to walk with them.
0: Right. I love the goal of courage to help people live chaste lives. We are all called chastity, no matter, no matter our state in life. And I thought just by the way he carried himself, he set a great example for what that sounds like. I-, I thought it was just beautiful. I mean, he was exhibiting, to me, truth in love.
1: Yeah, and I I was so happy that we got to highlight the Courage Apostolate for folks who don't know. Yes, um, Please check that out online. We'll have that in the show notes as well.
0: Yes, it's in... Uh- Gosh, dozens of dioceses, most dioceses across the country, as is encouraged for friends and family members. Well, thank you, for our family members of uh, Dr. Doctor, for being with us for yet another episode. Uh, You can find this and all our old episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. Just click episode archive near the top and you can search by name of guest and topic over 260 episodes to date.
1: If you can believe it or not, we have a video version of our podcast. And if you go to our website, you can click on the YouTube link near the top of our homepage, drdoctor.org. If you don't want to just listen to us, if you want to see us, all of our facial expressions, if you have a question, you can get it at that page as well. Click submit a question. Check out the videos. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally. And we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor.
0: The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus, find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org.